0: I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. Today, my guest is John Kett, CEO and president of IAA, the leading multi-channel vehicle marketplace. John became CEO in 2014 after serving in a variety of executive roles for more than 14 years. In 2019, he led IAA through the process of becoming an independent public company and generated $1.4 billion in revenue and sold more than 2.5 million vehicles through its platform. Prior to IAA, John held senior financial roles at Central Steel and Wire Company and SafeLight Glass Corporation, Newark Electronics, and Deloitte. He received a master's degree from Northwestern University and a Bachelor of Science from Northern Illinois University. John Kett, welcome into the corner office. It's great to be with you, Brent. Thanks for having Uh, me. Terrific to have you on the show. I I know we spoke a few months ago. You've had a very busy couple of months and quarters, and we want to hear all about that and and, uh, the wonderful things that are happening at IAA, both in terms of leadership, culture, and, and business. But well, we always like to start our podcast early on and uh, hear a little bit about the early years. Tell us a little bit about where you grew up and what your early family life was
1: like. Yeah, happy to. Yeah, I, I grew up actually not far from our headquarters here. I grew up in a town called Lombard, Illinois. Okay. Um, I was the youngest of four boys, and then I have two younger sisters, so a big family. Wow. Okay. Um, grew up in a, yeah, in a, you know, kind of a blue-collar family. My dad was a mailman. So oh, he, right, cool. So he, you know worked really hard um walking an year man or was Exactly. A, oh yeah, yeah, right it was when he got out of the army it was basically his job for his career you know walking 11 miles a day i think was was the average so um yeah, he was a hard working just a really really nice man and then my mom in addition to raising us then she worked actually second shift as a what was called a key punch operator back oh, in the day. Yeah. So, um, yeah, well, so I grew up kids, in a, all the
0: kids were growing up or, or is that something she did later in life?
1: No, as, as I got into, she had a, she had a variety of, of jobs, um, you know, on and off as the kids are growing up, but no, really right. from the time I was in high school, um, she was working, uh, second shift. So yeah. yeah, it was a, it was a, you know, it's really where I found my work ethic was yeah. seeing them yeah. just, work extremely hard to make sure that we were taken care
0: of All Right. other than that work ethic. Any other lessons uh, from mom and dad in those early years?
1: Well, I think just their overall, um, both really, uh, a lot of humility, you mm-hmm. know, they were just nice people, nice to everyone. Um, really instilled in us a sense of kind of fairness and fair play that I think, you know, has certainly carried through. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they they were old enough that they were children of the Depression. So right, sure. they understand what, what
0: hardships uh, are now.
1: Yeah. And how to save money and, you know, what that, you know, how important it is to really, um, you know, take care of what you have because uh, they, you know, they certainly witnessed it firsthand when, when it fell apart. So, um, yeah. Yeah. No, they were. B- any, big influences obviously any other me,
0: influencers or were there other teachers or coaches or folks that uh, had an impression on you really
1: yeah certainly you know i was a i was a i was a good student um, so obviously a lot of teachers that i you know looked up to and paid attention to um, i was a bit of a trailblazer in my family i was the first one to go to college wow. so yeah. um, so you know i just you know i was always good in school and and it, it really uh, propelled me to, to want to do more. Um, yeah. And I played, I played sports, you know, I played baseball and basketball primarily. Through, um, through high was, school? Well? Uh, yeah. 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 Through high school. Yeah. 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 So that was, you know, a great experience. Um, and again, learned a lot about myself, about, about competition and what that really means and Some how.
0: Big, big coaches along the way. and. Yeah, to, yeah, know. some good and some not so good. <laughs> you, learn, you learn from those too? You do. <laughs> you. Yeah. Now right. that you volunteered it. Share, share some of the not so good lessons. Was it behavioral in nature, or you know, were there some early things that you picked up? Maybe, you don't even mention any names, but no, uh, of course not. Tell us about that. No, I, I, yeah, I mean,
1: I, I, I think the great coaches were the ones that were all about the players and the team, and yeah. um, and making us better, and you know, and growing in our own self, particularly when you are a teenager, and then. Sure. There were coaches that were more about themselves and and winning, and that was the only thing. And even right. if it meant, you know, kids weren't going to develop, that was more important to them. Mm. So that, yeah, that
0: that definitely uh, uh, rung true with me. It's amazing as a kid how you can pick up on some of those things pretty quickly.
1: Yeah, although I would say that a lot of it didn't really, I didn't connect the dots until later, right? right. When I realized um, how they had behaved and right. you know what their what their motives really might have been.
0: Right, exactly. What about entrepreneurial activities? Anything uh, that you did you know, growing up for extra spending money?
1: You know, um, I, I was uh, always had a, you know, again, as I talked about my, my family, you know, I did everything from delivering newspapers right. to, to caddy to, to you know, I ended up getting a job actually in a, which was a great job. I uh, got a job second sh- after high school working four to ten in a computer room you know, at a, at a, at a local business of actually a, a pretty good sized business. And, um, so not so much entrepreneur, but certainly learned about business and about kind of sure. a big company again at a young age. Um, a lot of technology that I think is, you know, certainly was helpful to me throughout my, my career.
0: Were you doing coding or, or was No, just key
1: like key operations, you know, running yeah. like, you know, again, if you're, if you're, you or your listeners are old enough to remember a time when there was like <laughs> these big tapes that you had to load. <laughs> oh, and yeah. and actually, even I, I was still flipping key punch cards at some point.
0: Um, I remember Fortran classes. And yeah, right. So, I, yeah, I say that my son looks at me like, what are you talking about? How could exactly. you possibly put punch cards together and put them in? It, the exactly. Right, right. right. <laughs> oh, it seems so archaic now. <laughs> cool. And and was it kind of a foregone conclusion to go to college? You said you were the first one to go and I think you were the middle child. So um, Yeah, you, did mom and dad you know, support that?
1: Um
0: you know, my parents
1: valued education. They never my dad went to college, never graduated just, you know, here and there a little bit. Um, but I remember he so he was a mailman and I would see him in town. I'd be riding around on my bike with my kids and and I'd see him, and he would know everybody because he was the mailman, right? So right. I remember telling him one time that, you know, you got a great job, Dad. I'm like, when I grew up, I want to be just like you because everyone in town knows you. And and I remember him kind of, you know, smiling but saying, no, you know, I think you can do a lot more than that and sit yourself. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I I think it was because again, school was a place where I I did well, so I got satisfaction from it. So the the notion of of going to college was certainly, um,
0: yeah, it was something I was going to do. Yeah. And, and self finance. it sound like you know, that. Absolutely.
1: Stop. Yeah, 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 no, absolutely. I mean, a little bit of, you know, the economics were a lot different then, but right, borrow a little bit of money and, and worked in the summers to save and worked when I was in school. Um,
0: so yeah, absolutely. self finance. So you went to Northern Illinois University, right? I did. So yep. Yep. Was that the, the logical choice? Was, did you apply to a bunch of different colleges, or was that the closest to home?
1: It was. It was a little, I did apply to some other schools. Again, I didn't really have a whole lot of direction, certainly, again, compared to today's times. You know, I, I met my high school guidance counselor exactly one time, and that was to <laughs> to go over my ACT score and to talk about schools that, and Northern was close and, and inexpensive. And so, and I, I actually had been there, I think when I was a senior, I went up with some friends and yeah, so it was, you know, that was kind of the world I was in. So, um, so or it was, it was about as big as my world was. So I was like, well, yeah, that's, it's an hour, it's only an hour away, but it, you know, might as well have been, you know, 500 miles away. Right, right. Um, so yeah, no, it was a great experience um and uh, yeah I'm still still uh, actively involved in the college of business I actually have a, a board meeting up there on awesome. Friday so
0: yeah. um, so accountancy as a as a choice uh, did you kind of always find that numbers came to you easy or is it was math something that you excelled at in high school or you uh, choose that process?
1: Yes I, I did and I actually took, my mom was a, ostensibly a bookkeeper. That's that, she, that was another part of one of her jobs, which she, she was a bookkeeper. So I took some classes in high school, actually, that I did extremely well on. Mm-hmm. But when I went to Northern, and so I went to Northern, and I um, was thinking about computer science because, again, this is the you know the early '80s. It was definitely an emerging um, area that you know there was a lot of excitement around it. So that's where I started. But again you know my mother knew she she had seen me and you know had seen what i'd done in high school and kind of knew um so it was always kind of nudging me to try and, that, yeah. yeah and then um <laughs> this is this is actually a, a good story so when i was a northern actually has a really good accounting program they they do really really well cpa scores they really ranked very highly for for a school that you know it's kind of a Uh, state school. Um, uh, But as a sophomore, you had to take an exam to actually get into the, uh, you know, the upper level accounting program. And there was me and a couple of my friends, a a guy and a girl, a girl who I was trying to date who was going to take this accounting test. So I said, well, yeah, I'm going to take that test. (laughs) So we studied together and of course they both flunked it and I passed it. So there I was. in the accounting program, which yeah, again was um, in retrospect was exactly where I should have been. Um, you know, didn't just got, really- just got there by a different
0: course. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. exactly. you guess the streams are going. I, I always my my kids always amazed were amazed as I you know was an adult as a parent how well I typed. And they said, uh, how, did you, how did you learn how to type? And I said, well, in 11th grade, they had a typing school in high school. So said, why did you do that? Right. So didn't learn how to type. That's where all the girls were. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I took away a skill for life, you know. That I'm Absolutely. This, yeah. Absolutely. So you went to Pupeloid. Great, great, you know, place to start your career. It you kind of went into audit. Did they recruit at NIU? Was that? Um- oh,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually did an internship there my senior year, right. and then they offered me a full-time position. So, yeah, That's that amazing. it was, Thank yeah, you. yeah, it was a... I was actively recruited by a number of what were then
0: the big eight. The big eight. Right. Yeah. It became the big four or six. I'm right. I think it's four now. And maybe. then after a couple of years, did you go on to one of their clients? I know i see Newark
1: No, actually uh, um, I didn't. I, I, you know, had moved up to a senior. I decided I didn't really want a you know, a partnership in an accounting firm. I didn't really see that as my career. so. Um, no, I began to look around and I found a, a company called Newark Electronics that, you know, had a internal audit job. I thought it'd be interesting to kind of move into industry. Yeah. Um, really good business. Again, learned a ton about, um, always about myself, but also about culture. Right. And um, Newark was a distributor, I think it still is, a distributor of electronic components. Yeah extremely frugal extremely cost uh, uh, just they were all about trying to squeeze that extra you know penny out of their margins because they were a, a middleman and they they didn't really operate on super high margins. so learned a ton about that mindset um, both good and bad because again the good is that it really makes you think through when you're spending money but on the bad it it the culture was oppressive it was yeah. it was um, very heavy-handed around employees um, just you know it was it was um, I mean that they were successful and so on but just from as I observed how they treated their employees and how they um, just how they behaved you know I it, again it was a lesson that that I took with me and then
0: being in an audit an internal audit position had to be kind of Oh yeah, I That's was doubly tough, right? Yes, I was the police. I was <laughs> not the, the sheriff right. in town, showing Right. And right. how they're spending their funds, yeah. Exactly. And what is yeah, their you- following? Did yeah. you start managing people there, or did you? I have did.
1: Yeah. I, well, in, you know, in, in public accounting, you as a senior, you've got a you've got a team for the engagement, so it's a it's a little bit of you know they're not your direct employees, but you are trying to get people to get things done, and you're responsible for them. So you you, you begin to build a little of that, but certainly at at Newark, I did have a small staff of just two people, but it was you know my employees. So that again, that's a developmental step right. um, that was you know, I learned a lot. What were some of those early leadership lessons? No, just again, how to, how to get people to get, you know, you've got objectives that need to be accomplished. You can't do them all yourself and you need people to get them done and they may not do them the way that you would do them, but you need to help let them, let them, you know, use their own means sometimes to get things done and then they feel more satisfied about it and, um, and they grow. So yeah, that was, that was
0: good, a, a very
1: good experience.
0: Now you're there for a couple of years and then I think in one other company, right? Or two, was it before you, you joined IAA? Tell us about yeah, that.
1: It's just... t- yeah. So then actually a, a, a woman that I had worked with at, at Deloitte actually worked at Newark unbeknownst to me. We, she worked in another division and but so we reconnected when we got to Newark and then she left and went to what was then called Globe Glass, so she recruited me, you know, into a real, more of an f- accounting finance job. Which, right. um, again, bigger, co- uh, well, not really a bigger company, but I had a bigger role. It was a company that was growing. We were doing a lot of acquisitions. It was, um, it was really a, a, just a, a tremendous experience. And it's really where I began to spread my wings. I started out, as I said, as more of like a financial manager. I got involved in some of the acquisitions. I was supporting a region. And then again, this is, you know, one of the guys that I always, I've told over and over again that one of the key moments in my career was I worked for this guy. I, I, I didn't work for him. I supported his region. And so he involved me in a lot of the meetings with the region and and a lot of problem solving sessions. And I'll remember it, I, I can picture it, you know, as if it were today, and it was in 1994 that... We we're sitting around a conference room and there was a problem in a market. And he turned to me and said, you know, what do you think we should do? And I was like, wow, you know, and I, I don't even remember what my answer was, was, but I just remember thinking, bad. wow, that was kind of fun. And you know, yeah. this is really more about running a business than just reporting the, the, the facts. Um, and so what then a, what a simple gesture though, isn't that? You know, well, absolutely. A- but then it got better is that then, you know, several months later he said, I've got an opening in operations as a regional manager. So would you be willing to step out of finance and accounting, which is where I'd had my training and it's been, you know, the first part of my career to actually run a region? And, and, you know, so I was like, wow, yeah, that sounds really interesting. So I completely stepped out of finance, moved into operations and had 13 glass shops around the Midwest that were, you know, my responsibility. So it was, um, Again, just an, an enormous ex, experience to, you know, totally step out of my comfort zone to not only have people working for me, but people that weren't finance people and, you know, and all, from all walks of life across a wide geography with a P&L that I was responsible for. Um, yeah, it was, uh, it was just a tremendous experience. And so um, I did that for a couple of years, was reasonably successful. And then the company went through a a fairly large merger with another glass business. And so the the company basically doubled in size. And then they asked me to come back in, back into a finance role, into the controller role, which, and part of why they wanted me was because I had this field experience. I wasn't just the, the, so, um, so again, I did that. And then I began to support the entire business and I became close with the, the guy who who ran the the whole retail business and then a couple years later we got bought out by what is now Safelite AutoGlass which again okay. is you know the pretty well known across yeah. the country huge yeah. yeah and at the time um, my wife was 7 months pregnant with twin hmm. boys oh wow um, so they offered me a job in Columbus where where Safelite's headquartered and I, you know, I, there was no way I was going to go with my wife in that situation. And again, um, culturally, I, I just, I, I wasn't sold on, on the new business. Uh, so I, um, I decided to, to step out, uh, which a lot of people did because of the merger and a lot of jobs were being eliminated. But I had a, I had a, a decent kind of severance time where I still had to be working, but I wasn't working super hard and it was perfect because the babies were born and healthy and all that. And so I got to spend a little bit of time with them. Um, and then I found this job at Newark, uh, at, uh, at central steel and wire, which uh, a, a steel distributor, Midwest based again, culturally, um, just a really successful, effectively a private company. Um, mm. uh, that had really grown. They had one a, a family, the, a man who ran it, and uh, he passed away, and, and set up a trust so that the company was owned by a trust, and just a very traditional. You know, I I described uh, Central Seal at the time is as, as it all should have been in black and white. I was, I was <laughs> pulling into my parking spot. I was sitting in a steel cage desk in an office where they literally came and painted my name on the glass. My first it. it was like from an old movie, you know what yeah, I mean? Right. And and that's a little bit of how they behaved. Yeah. Um, they had said they wanted to modernize. That's why they recruited me. That was kind of what brought me. that's what led me to it. It was they have they had all this change that needed to happen and they needed people to come in and make it happen, but they really didn't want to change that much. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, you know, again, learned a lot about a culture of a, a, a different culture. Um, very, you know, patrician, you know, it was like, we're the executives. We run the company. Right. We take care right. of you. You yeah. got to show up and work hard for us, but we're right. going to take we, care of we, you. Yeah, right <laughs> um, not, you know, very little diversity of, yeah. of, uh, of thought or of, of the, the makeup of the team. Um, and so then, this guy that I had been reporting, that I had been supporting at the glass business, the last one who ran the entire retail, uh, his name is Tom O'Brien. Tom had come to IEA. during the time that I was Central Steel. He came to IEA, became the CEO, wow. and was in the midst of kind of turning around a business that had been growing but had been for sale perpetually. So he began to to rebuild his management team. And so he, you know, approached me and sure. went to the people um, he yeah. knew. Yeah. And, and it was a, it was a risk. I mean, I could have, I, I could have, you know, effectively punched a clock at central steel for, you know, 25 Rester. more years or whatever the case would have been. Okay. Um, or I could have taken a chance on this, you know, salvage car auction business that was, <laughs> that was, you know, relatively small. And like I said, it had been through some turmoil and Private, um,
0: privately owned at the time, I imagine.
1: Right? It, it, no, it was actually public. It was, it was public. a small NASDAQ. We were NASDAQ traded. We had, uh, one, um, uh, primary shareholder, or lead shareholder that owned it owned, you know, roughly 20% of the company. Um, and, so I came to IA, and in a in a kind of a jack-of-all-trades role, I, I got involved in some pricing, I got involved in some of the M&A, we were rolling out new technology, so I wasn't very involved in how that was organized and constructed.
0: Did you did you come in in a finance role I mean, originally? Or I, yeah,
1: I was reporting to the CFO, um, I had a, a fairly innocuous title, um, but... I, again i i I didn't really have finance and accounting I had f p and a I had like i said pricing and so i I really was a I was doing a lot of different things and I was the guy who knew how to get stuff done and could get stuff done and was and had the again had the kind of perspective of the entire business. I wasn't just looking at the business through the numbers on the page I was spending time in the field getting to know people that actually did it and could kind of look at the world through their shoes. Yeah. Again, from some of the experiences I had had going back to the glass company for sure. Um, and frankly, from, you know, I, I look back at my dad and was a blue collar guy that, you know, I, I could kind of look at the world through his eyes and that sure. helped me in an organization where we have, you know, at the time we probably had 50 locations of, you know, and these are, six to eight, 10 people in a branch, rarely, you know, there might be a college education, but a lot of them are not college educated. They're, you know, hardworking, industrious, you know, people. Um, And and so I, yeah, I I developed some um, rapport with them. I really got to understand the business at a broad level. And then we went through a series of transactions. We did go private then in 2005. So I got my taste of private equity directly, um, you know, from selling the company into operating in a private equity world. Did that become a big cultural shift for the company? You, that you know, I, it, it was not, um, not really. And I, I give Tom, my predecessor, a lot of credit for really establishing some boundaries with the PE firm on how we were going to behave, you know, a, a not so minor example was around compensation where the PE firms like to concentrate the equity at the senior level because then they, you know, if they have a lot of leverage on you, Tom was adamant that we were going to spread that among the the team. And so we pushed it down, you know, really deep into the organization to make sure everyone had a piece of the, of the pie, which again, I think really helped that transition and, um, Again, I've, something I've learned from
0: and have carried through to this day. Now, when, when Tom tapped you to come over, did, did you have any ambitions at that stage that you might run the company someday? Or was it more of a, yeah, this is a good guy to have my wagon you know, hitched to and <laughs> let's go try this new thing out? Well, what was going through your mind at the
1: time? No, I, I, I Brad, I'll tell you, uh, right up until the time in 2010, when he came to me and said you're my successor talk to the board everyone's comfortable with you you know you're the guy i was uh, there were other senior people in the organization who i i really didn't it wasn't it was it was never my ambition to head yeah, down and tail up on your responsibilities you were cfo at the time i think i was the cfo at the time when yeah. i thought you know and and i was a CFO who had a pretty wide portfolio of you know, responsibility. I was involved at the customer level. I, I mean, I was doing a lot of interesting things, uh, but I really, I didn't see myself uh, in this, literally in this chair that I'm yeah. sitting in right now.
0: There we go. Um, so, <laughs> there you yeah. go. You never know how your career can, uh, you know, change and, and how obviously the influences of uh, your good work can, can have the impact. I, I want to pivot back to that first regional manager job because I just find it yeah. fascinating. Not only that you got that great opportunity from the manager and that, that business unit. But, you know, I, I, I was going to ask you about your accountancy background. And, mm-hmm. you know, did you find that in that first P&L role, how did that help you? Maybe in, in any way did it hold you back from being successful in that role?
1: No, I, I mean, I no, I, I, think, I think training in accountancy, it's the lifeblood of a business. If you understand how the numbers work, you can, to me, you can you can figure out almost anything and it helps you put it in perspective and the other strength that i brought to that was then the 13 managers i had now we're going to understand how their PL work because they never had any formal training they weren't that wasn't their skill set yet they were being compensated on it and held responsible for it so it I, i it actually helped us improve because i could show them how their actions, you know, led to gain or loss, and you know how that impacted their compensation, and to a certain extent, some of their employees' compensation. So, um, no, I, I don't. Uh, again, I think it's um, you have to have the perspective that there are there are plenty of really really good accountants who sort of can't see above the page of the numbers right, right. I mean, the, the numbers are all that that matters they don't they don't look at the human side or the business side of what makes those numbers so but I think if you do have that perspective it's it's just a phenomenal base of understanding that helps you in, in any role whether you're in a whether you're in direct leadership or you're A sole contributor, or running a small team. If you understand how the economics of the of the business that you're in work, it's going to
0: help you do a better job and be more impactful. No question. Yeah, awesome. So, CEO uh, since 2014. Tell us a little bit about who IAA is today, because it's it sounds like it's gone through a couple of transformations over the last 20 years. (laughs) Well, it certainly has. Yeah, I mean, we are a global marketplace Mm -hmm. for. Vehicles.
1: Uh, So we bring together buyers and sellers uh, all over the world, and we sell primarily damaged vehicles. So vehicles that the the prototypical vehicle that's going through our marketplace is a vehicle that's been in an accident and it's been declared a total loss by an insurance company. And so that insurance company is looking to mitigate the loss of you know of writing a check for the value of that vehicle. So they utilize us to help them remarket that and so we've got we've oh, over the you know nearly 40 years that I use actually we are over 40 years now as a, as a company uh, find buyers and develop ways to market these assets to these buyers so they're there you know there's a strong domestic market uh, in the US and, and so we operate we have we operate in the US Canada and the UK that's where we have physical facilities, that's where we're sourcing the vehicles that we sell. But we have a buyer network that's in 135 countries or more who are buying these vehicles for a variety of purposes. The, like the fleet, most- fleet
0: services, are, are they
1: group buyers, large corporations? They- no, it's a really highly fragmented buyer base. Yeah. Our, our largest buyer buys, uh, less than five percent of our inventory, and the next one after that is well below one percent. So it's it is um, it, it runs the gamut. So the, the prototypical buyer is buying the car to take parts off it, the good parts off it, and then resell those into the repair. You know, so if you see a recycled uh, part or a reconditioned part, that's typically it's OEM. So it's you know you're getting OEM quality. Um, and it's at a substantial reduction in price to buying new OEM. So it's it really is, I mean, that, that really is part of our mission is making vehicles more affordable because right. what we do is we support that network of people that are trying to fix up a car by finding parts to fix it up that they don't have to pay the, the full OEM sticker for. Um, the, the next really important group, and certainly as we think outside of the borders of our of our countries where we operate, they are what we call rebuilders. So they're buying the car to fix it up. So they, that can be done. So there's a, a percentage yeah. of those cars. The, absolutely. And and so again, the, the way I describe it is if you think about a, an insurance company deciding to total a vehicle, it's a math equation. There's a the value of your car yesterday before it got in a crash, and then it gets in an accident, they do an estimate of what the repairs are going to be. And if that repair estimate exceeds some threshold that they've set, which is typically somewhere in 60 to 80% of the value of the vehicle, they're going to declare it a total. You know, in in 40 plus percent of the time, the vehicle still operates. Um, So if you think about, trying to find affordable transportation, you can buy a car that's been damaged. You can buy the parts to fix it up. And certainly in some other markets, the, the labor rates that it would take to repair that vehicle are substantially lower. So that math equation sort of changes, right? Because right, right. the estimated cost of repair now, which roughly speaking is typically half labor, half parts. right? So if you can procure the parts and, and procure labor at a, at a lower rate than you'd have to pay in market here, you can, and figure out the shipping, which again, we help buyers do Right. Um, the equation changes and you can find affordable transportation. Yeah. And, and this notion, I, I'm talking about it internationally, but it exists in the, in the U S too. I mean, right. again, um, if you were to walk through one of our yards, there's many vehicles you'd look at and think, why is that car total? And, and it really is, it's part of the, the why we're so excited about this market and continue to be is if you think about vehicles today, the complexity of vehicles that are manufactured and while there's more and more safety equipment, it is typically on the periphery of the vehicle Mm -hmm. so that if there is an accident, those sensors and lights and bumpers, those are really expensive parts. Sure. So if they're damaged, it's going to uh, more likely lead to the estimate the the total total loss. The total loss. Yeah, yeah, very
0: interesting. How many employees now, and in, in your sales and in locations, John?
1: Yeah, we have about forty five hundred employees. Wow. Um, yeah, I think you you cited the billion four, and yeah. we did a little bit more than that last year. Um, we've got two hundred and. 10 locations. We're in all 50 states in the US. We're in Canada, across the country, and, and now in the, UK,
0: and the as well. UK as well. Awesome. Well, let's talk a little bit about your, your leadership style. You know, John, tell, tell us what's kind of changed from those first days of, you know, being that senior auditor to, to today. Any, you know, major adjustments you've made along the way and how you, you know, work with people?
1: Yeah, I mean, it certainly, uh, well, I, I think what I've evolved into as a leader it, it goes back to, you know, my upbringing and how I've started out. I mean, I am, I do, you know, think about it being a servant leader. I'm here to, to remove obstacles, to help the business be successful. That's, that's, that's my primary job. And I'm, you know, one among 4,500 I'm sitting in this chair and I'm got a lot more responsibility, but I have a job to do and so does everyone else that works yeah. for me. And so my job is to to try and make that easy for them so that we can, we can grow and succeed. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not the smartest guy in the room. Um, I don't, you know, I, I, I forget who said it, but you know, if I'm the smartest guy in the room, I'm in the wrong room. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I, need to be. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I want to surround myself with people that are bright and, Collectively, we can make better decisions and drive our business forward than each of us, you know, acting individually.
0: Uh, company, I, company culture is such an important part, too, John. And, and you know, with, with such a large population base, you know, over 200 branches, you know, three different national locations. How do you kind of, you know, communicate, propagate, you know, keep keep that culture alive across the.
1: the yeah, it's yeah. that that has been. You know, as we've grown, that is a increasingly a challenge. But it is it's around communication. I, I'm regularly, consistently, if it's you know not a video, then it's walking around the hall here to to talk to people and connect with them. Um, I am out in the field as I'm traveling. I will stop into branches and spend time with the people there. Uh, it it's it's that, and then it's also just again the tone that I set. With my management team, who are going to be even more engaged at that at those levels, to make sure that they kind of get the 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 culture and what we're trying to accomplish, and that yeah. that is again uh, as the company grows is more challenging. Certainly, the last couple of years have made it even more ch- challenging with the lack of in person connection. But um, you know, I I began just you know speaking of the pandemic, I began. Producing or putting out videos on a really frequent basis, and I continue to do that. It's something that I got a lot of good feedback on as a way to stay connected to the to our teams. Um, and again, try to be as approachable as I can. Um, I again engage with people on a, on a regular basis. I love when I when I'm you know meet someone new and they don't know who I am, and then they find out who I am later, and you know they realize that. I'm just John, you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, um, you know, I, I really do try to have that level of humility. Um, again, I point to my upbringing and, and as I said earlier, this isn't a job that I've been dreaming about or planning for my entire career. So I, I think I bring some perspective to it that I'm really lucky to have, have found myself here. Um, and so I appreciate it. And so I, you know, I make sure that, People understand that I appreciate it.
0: What do you think's most unusual or, or perhaps unique about the IA culture that, that, that keeps people there? Um,
1: well, I think it is that that um, lack of you know of high ego. I think mm-hmm. that I think people and I mean we we just you know for the fourth year in Aurora, we're great places to work again. So I mean we we do in our in our employee survey. Uh, our engagement scores are strong we we do um, have that culture and i think it's permeating the organization um and it's you know something we work hard to accomplish yeah um yeah it's 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 um it's i would call it intentional It, it is intentional it's something we we think about and work on but it's also you know it's it is the makeup of the people that are here too
0: what, what do you personally look for when you're making bets on the people you invest in and hire John? Uh,
1: yeah, I think again, I'm, I'm looking for smart people because I do think that, that makes us better. Uh, I think, I really think it's important to have a sense of humor. I think mm. that that is a, <laughs> uh, that, you know, that not everything goes well all the time and that's part of business. It's part of life and having the ability to kind of laugh at it. Sometimes I think really is, is it's helpful and it's, it, it kind of
0: keeps it real to me. Don't take yourself too seriously.
1: Exactly. Precisely, (laughs) precisely, precisely.
0: Do you have a favorite interview question? Well, my
1: favorite interview technique is to Invite the candidate out to lunch, and then go down and then give him the keys to my car and say, "And you drive to the
0: <laughs>
1: Wow! What
0: kind of car do you drive? <laughs> <laughs> I drive. Uh, I drive an Infiniti, uh QX70. So, nice. Yeah. Nice. Uh, what's the kind of response do you get? I've I've never heard that one before in my 20 years of recruiting. Oh, it's well, it's you know, it's it's putting him in a instantly pressure p- and and again I'm.
1: You know i've got a smirk on my face as i'm doing it i'm sure it, you know and no I mean, people kind of laugh and they they and you know most people know how to drive a car so <laughs> yeah, right,
0: right. <laughs> that's a good test of that for sure i love it that's great well john we're just about out of time but we always have one last question a question we ask all our ceo guests and You know, what kind of career and life advice would you give someone that, you know, maybe is mid-career, maybe has their eye on the corner office, maybe doesn't, but, uh, you know, what kind of, uh, you know, uh, uh, counsel would you give them about, you know, their road to success in the corporate world?
1: Yeah, I I talk about this all the time at all levels is to having your eye on the corner office is the wrong place to have your eye. Mm. You need to look at your next opportunity. I mean, again, it can be a part of a path, but... I, I worry and I see people that gets too laser focused on I'm going to do this next and an opportunity to the right or their left is right there in front of them and they pass it by because mm. they're too singular focused on this one thing. I mean, there are people that are pat, you know, they were meant to do X and, but that's a rarity. That's absolutely a rarity. Yeah. So to me, look, you know, keeping a wide perspective and seeing opportunities that come your way uh, and taking advantage of them and learning from them. And then that helps you get to that next
0: level without just saying, I want to be at the next level. Yeah. Yeah. Prepare yourself for that next job, whatever that might be. And that's right. As that's with exactly you, then be surprised when that opportunity comes up. Right? That, that's, <laughs> that's exactly right. That's exactly <laughs> right. right. Well, John Katz, CEO and president of IAA. Thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office. Thanks, Brent. Enjoyed it.